Welcome to Commander Roan, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 9, Project Delas. This episode was written by Michelle Paradise. She has episodes 13 and 14 of Season 2 under her writing credits as well, but this is the only episode that shows written by next to it. Of course, she is also a co-executive producer. And this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who directed Season 1, Despite Yourself, and Season 2, New Eden. I like how you say, of course, she's a co-executive producer, as if anybody could remember that list. No, I just mean, like, chances are if they wrote an episode, that means they are an executive producer or co-executive producer. Yeah. And uh, Kate is coming to us uh, freshly back from Emerald City Comic Con, and so she has Con Plague. So uh, if she's sounding a little under the weather, that's why. Uh, How was Emerald City Comic Con, Kate? It was good. I unfortunately did not manage to see Sonequa Martin-Green because I went back to our hotel room to sleep because I was apparently already sick. Uh Uh-oh. That's too bad. But I didn't even realize that until later. I was just kind of tired and miserable for a lot of the convention. And then on the last day, I couldn't stop coughing. I was like, oh, this is why I've been so tired and miserable. Well, then. Right. Right. Did you pick up any good merch? I did. A lot of good merch. Nothing Star Trek, though. Oh, okay. Well, I forgive you. Not not specifically. I honestly didn't really see any. That is often the case, sadly. Although, I guess, like, Emerald City Comic Con isn't exactly a prime venue for people who would have Star Trek merch to go to. Well, like, I don't know. I know um, Toronto Comic Con was this weekend also. And I know at least one person I follow, like an artist on, on Twitter, was selling some some Star Trek Discovery fan art there. And if I'd come across some, I'd have, well, depending on what it was, I may have purchased. Cool. I did buy some Lord of the Rings stuff. I don't know. My other podcast. Oh. I don't know. That, that's cool. Um, was there like a highlight, like a thing that was stands out as being? Um, I did pay money to get an autograph from Laura Bailey, who I have loved for a very long time. And she told me I had beautiful eyes. So that was probably the highlight. That was okay. on the last day when I was incredibly ill. So I was like desperately sucking on a halls and hoping I wasn't going to cough in her face. Right, right. You maybe had a little of the sick glaze eyes, shiny, making them extra shiny for you. Yeah, maybe. It was also a very bright blue room, so that usually makes my eyes look better. Mm, Cool. All right, well, shall we get into this episode? We shall. Oh, I did want to mention on the day that Sneaker Martin Green was there, I did see a lot of people in disco t-shirts and that did make me happy. So there was a lot of Star Trek fans there. Cool. Were they the, like the black t-shirts that just say disco across them? The They're blue. The one that I have. Oh, okay. Okay. I just saw someone online with a Discovery shirt that is, um, it's got the ship, like a top down of it. And right. it's flying up on the shirt and then like coming out from behind it are like um, stripes of color. So there's like... It's not quite a full rainbow of color coming out from the bottom. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, I know. I kind of want to try and track one down and see what the cost on it is and stuff like that. These are the so. ones that Tilly and Michael were wearing when they were running. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Cool. Okay. So 
Kate, how did you like Project Daedalus? I really liked it. Yeah? I thought it was a good episode. And I I feel like I was seeing... I didn't watch it till this morning. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was seeing a lot of things online that people didn't really like it. So I, I, I had lowered expectations going in. But I did really enjoy it. And I thought it was a good turning point in the season. And... Some good good character moments too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, because I haven't seen much reaction of people not liking it. Were there any things you can remember that they were like picking on about it, or? I think it was more just that they didn't like how it fit in with the lore. I honestly don't remember any specifics. Okay. Okay. Interesting. But I, mm, no, I don't remember any specifics. But I just remember that I had lowered expectations going in. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Okay, uh, so how did you feel about this episode? I enjoyed it quite a bit too. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think, like, thinking of Star Trek lore, how, like, where people might be getting stuck on that. Well, maybe with Spock but, being kind of emotional, he did yeah, destroy the chess. And actually, can I just say that I hate when space shows feel the need to make chess spacey, like. It's just a bore. Like, why is it three levels? It doesn't need it. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> just because we can travel through the stars doesn't mean we need to... Like, why? I it think because, mean... like, when you're traveling through space, you move on multiple axes. They brought 3D chess into a similar sort of space where you can move, like, instead of just on a two-dimensional flat surface, they made it three-dimensional, so you expand the strategies and moves possible but anyways 3d chess is a staple of star trek sure i think <laughs> i think it's a staple of any sci-fi show or movie that has chess in it i can't think of any others that do but my mind is also that's, blanking now of that's course. the point anyways yeah. so that's fine uh so i guess this one has like a lot of intersecting plots going on because mm-hmm. there's really just like Section 31 stuff. Yep. And then there's Spock and Burnham trying to figure out Red Angel stuff in the background. Yep. And then they kind of find out at the end that it might all sort of be intersecting. Did you agree with their assumption that the uh, control computer doohickey is what's gonna, is what the Red Angel is warning them about? Um, I think so. I, I only got a chance to watch the episode once. But I think, like, that's part of what Arium was saying, was that, like, she's trying to, like, get all the data from the sphere into the control computer. Right. But so that the control computer can... Um, can end all life, sure. But what? why is that? Like, I don't think we see any... I don't think anything's happened to say that that is connected to the Red Angels. Well, that was what the visions that... The Red Angels showed Spock. And more than one thing could be trying to kill everyone. Well, that's true. Like, we haven't really gotten a confirmation that this is what the Red Angel was warning us about. Well, that's... No, because that's what Spock said. Like, that the Red Angels showed him those visions and, uh, to try and stop it. Right, but stop what? He doesn't know. Well, I mean, he's seen images of all of the uh, sentient worlds being wiped out. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think we have any hard proof that that is what the Red Angels are warning us about. It's just an assumption that because this thing wants to end all sentient life, 
They're assuming it's the thing that wants to end all sentient life that the Red Angels are warning them about. But we've seen no actual connection between Control and the Red Angel. That's true. So possibly, and that might be an interesting twist if they, like, you know, stop this. I honestly don't. I I don't think what I'm saying is going to go anywhere. (laughs) I just wanted to bring that up. Especially since Arium at the end told Michael it was all about her. Like, right. You know? Right. I don't remember what we were talking about before this. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) We started off on 3D chess and. (laughs) Right. Yes. It bothers me. Made our way here. Since we were talking about the Spock and the 3D chess, let us talk more about the Spock and Burnham relationship as it's unfolding. Sure. Are you, do you have a side, like, for who is more right, Spock or Burnham? Spock saying that, like, you always make it about you, it's not about you, and... Well, at the end, Ariam literally said it's all about I you. I know. And I don't think Spock was necessarily saying she makes it all about her so much as she takes on the responsibility. Right. Right. And, yeah, okay, I'm remembering that scene now, and that's the part where Spock says that he enjoys expressing emotion. Yeah. Which I think is problematic for... Then he destroys the chessboard. Yeah. He was also upset about the 3D chess. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't playing according to logic. He was pretty harsh about Sarek and the way he brought them up. Mm -hmm. He had a good point, though, about the extremists targeting him and not necessarily Burnham and that her running away was not going to do anything. That's true. Okay, so then let's talk about the uh, Arium arc. Uh, So in this one, they do a really good job, like, showing us some of the non-main cast through, like, Arium's memories and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy that? I did, and I liked getting to see some of Arium's past before we watched her die. You know, that was great. Yep, yep. It was funny, because I remember early, early on, I can't remember how confirmed this was, but I remember uh, reading that Arium was a cybernetically enhanced alien. Mm-hmm. And so when they first showed the memory, I wasn't, thinking it was her automatically because I kept thinking of her non-cybernetic form as being like not human and I was like oh oh is that no they said she wasn't human they said it was an alien so that well, part that's presumptuous of you to think of everybody but humans as aliens <laughs> Vulcans well, think of us as aliens well that's true but when I'm reading a magazine article written about Star Trek here I I am um, Pretty sure it's being written by humans and not Vulcans. You know, some Star Trek fans are not uh, the (laughs) most stable of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I know. (laughs) I guess they changed their minds. I know. I know. And I was a little disappointed in that. But, yeah. Uh, I felt it a little contrived. Like they were really making it quite obvious that she wasn't going to survive the episode. I didn't necessarily think that so much as they were showing her human side more and her conflict with what was happening in her and how it wasn't, she wasn't just letting it take over. Right. You know, like obviously once we got to the end and she did die, then yeah, that's what they were going for. But I didn't immediately think, oh, she's going to die at the end. 
No, I didn't think that right away, but I was kind of suspicious as to like, oh, we're getting like more background. Okay, cool. This could be interesting. And then as they showed more and more like things, I was like, oh, they're really like firmly, you know, setting up all these connections. And I was kind of like, okay, I don't know if she's going to last or what's going to happen or if she's going to like completely turn and be a big nemesis. That would have been fun too. Yeah. Uh, the other criticism I was going to say is that she seems to have taken a page out of uh, Vockler's book in the, I seem to be having like strange potential blackouts where I don't remember what I was doing, but I'm not going to talk to anyone about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she did ask Tilly to stay next to her, but it may have just been that there wasn't really any time. There was a lot going on in this episode. But maybe if you're constantly deleting memories it's hard to tell if you have blackouts oh well that's a good point that would be disorienting and can i just say like when i was watching that i was like man that's gotta be hard choosing what to delete i mean like my phone is constantly 90 percent full because i can't decide which of my you know 70 billion pictures to part with i can't imagine being like I have to choose which memories of Tuesday were unimportant and can be forgotten. I don't know. I'd really like to forget how I'm feeling right now. Okay, well, yeah, there's that aspect of it. All of yesterday can be erased. <laughs> but yeah, but then what happens if you get, like, so many good memories or so many important memories? Then it's like, oh, now you have to choose. Huh, do you forget about, you know this lunchtime with friends or do you forget about this conversation with this person or what do you i don't know what do you archive what do you delete but anyways it, it was interesting and also like what constitutes a memory like where does it begin and where does it end is it like every 15 oh, minutes point. can she trim them yeah does she get to define what segments come and go because then it's like, yeah, there's a lot of boring time walking down corridors or, like, waiting in turbo lifts. Yeah, you can get rid of all it's that like, shit. Yeah, just delete that. So, question for you. Yeah. Since they established that the admirals that they were speaking to were holograms, mm-hmm. who do you think was talking to Giorgio and Leland? Holograms. You think that was holograms? Yeah. She's going to be so choked <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> All that manipulation time was wasted. (laughs) Yeah, because that wasn't that long ago, I don't think. And, well, it was, they've been dead for about two weeks, maybe? Yeah, no, I'm thinking that it must have been holograms as well. And the other question I have is, Cornwall says that the Vulcan uh, ambassador, or was was it an ambassador or an admiral? No, they were in Starfleet uniforms, so... I think she said the Vulcan Admiral, because that's yeah. what Pac... Pa- pa- Patar. Patar is. Yeah, okay. That she was a logic extremist. Yeah, so even if she hadn't been dead, I don't think she would have been friends of Michael and Spock's at all. But what I don't get is, like, the logic extremists were basically behind terrorist attacks on Vulcan, right? Maybe, Maybe she'd been hiding it, and they just found out. Okay, I hope so. Because otherwise... Yeah, that's how does she get to be an admiral? Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, like Starfleet, I know that you're post war and you need people, but could could you maybe pick people who you know or um, don't have affiliations to terrorist groups? Just just saying, maybe, um, Admiral Good Person, uh, 
Cornwall. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just doesn't know the difference. Like maybe she says she's a logic extremist, just meaning she's super logic Vulcan. Right. And doesn't right. realize the you know how some people call somebody Nazis, but they don't really mean Nazis. You know, right, like right. ill use of the word. Yes, yes. It's kind of like how you used to be able to like talk about right wing and left wing politics, and now what you talk about, like you you have to be more careful when you're like, yeah, right wing. Like, do you just mean fiscally conservative, or do you mean white supremacist? You know, white supremacist. Yeah, you have to. Do kinda... you mean Nazi? <laughs> yes. Choose your words wisely, people. That's actually one of my like super pet peeves is inaccurate use of words. Well, teach your children well. I'm, I'm trying. So I did see a lot of stuff online talking about how this is probably why captains don't trust holograms later. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I see this episode as being one to really uh, explain why hologram communications are phased out. Because obviously, unless you're Kelpian and can read heat signatures through videos... That's also a little bit of questionable science. Um, I, don't, I don't think he was reading it through the video. I think he just had a, a, a hunch, and so he looked into it. Okay, that's fair. Um, but it does explain why they might not uh, continue to trust that method of communication anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it does explain a bit more about why they, the technology level that you see in the original series is slightly different from what we're seeing in Discovery. And it also goes to explain a bit why Section 31 may be less well-known in the future. So I, I do think they're doing a really good job of sort of making this fit into canon while still showing us all of the cool technology and, like, making it look good to us today. Yeah. And things like that. And explaining why cybernetic uh, people might not be fully trusted in the future as well. Mm, poor Ariam. She was doing her best. Yeah, she really was. Uh, they had a really good Pike and Saru scene. Well, not really a scene, an exchange. I really liked where Pike was handing out orders there at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Saru was just like, uh, Captain, there's something I want to investigate. And like, Pike wasn't demanding an explanation. Pike wasn't. I think he said like, I think I can be better or more useful here or something like that. Yeah, because that's when he was investigating his hunch about the heat signatures. Yeah. And Pike was just like, okay, sounds good. I'm going to trust my commander to know what the priorities are here. And if you're saying you're better used there, I'm not going to waste our time questioning it. And we're just going to go ahead. That was good. I mean, it was obviously a ploy to get Michael on the away team as our main character, but I'll allow it. It's fine. Yeah, but at least it also like made sense in the story that yeah. Saru with his, you know followed down this hunch and figured out that they were looking at holograms and things like that. So this is true, but that was cool. Yeah. And can I just say how awesome and slightly creepy and gross the effects were when they went onto the station and there were the corpses floating about frozen. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. In, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. When they destroyed gravity and the bodies fell and, and bits broke. I mean, they were lucky it, there were no bodies directly above them. I know, right? Uh, that was cool. Though clearly, even with their, you know, explorations of 20th century 
culture, they don't watch horror movies to know that you never split up when you go in places like that. Yeah. <laughs> when Nan was, like, leaving, I was like, is, is she an actual red shirt now? Is, is she... <laughs> But she, and same with when her like environmental support gets ripped out. I'm like, is is it a red shirt moment? Is this it? Well, and then afterwards, when when Michael had blocked Arium in that other room, she didn't even try to help her. Well, uh, I'm torn on that one because she it's had like, a minute before she knew exactly what was going on, where she was just talking with Arium or something, and I was like, you could be talking while you walk over to Nod and give her her yeah. breathing device. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That might be a fair point. Later on, obviously, there was more going on. But at first, she could have helped. Right. But Nan was alive at the end there, right? They got her poked back up? I don't know. Nan was the one who ejected Arium. Oh. From the airlock. Like, Michael was there, and she, that that's how I read the scene. She wasn't going to, she wasn't going to, and then she gets ejected. And I was like, uh, was that actually her? And then Nan is next to Burnham. And... You know, I was watching on my phone, unfortunately, so I'm I'm honestly not sure. I am pretty certain that's how it went. Because I'm pretty sure that I don't think, I don't know that Burnham would have been able to do it. Right. I like that less than. I liked thinking that Burnham had done it. And I think that Burnham is going to majorly blame herself. Oh, yes. And there's probably going to be another Spock and Burnham discussion. About this? Yeah, but I mean, now we know, didn't Arium say, you know, it is all about you? So Burnham was kind of yeah. right. And then she says that we need to find out about, to find Project Daedalus. Yeah. Now, I did a teensy bit of research on Daedalus from Greek mythology. Yes, I mean, I, Daedalus. I, know, I know who this person is, yes. Okay, and... So, for those who don't know who Daedalus is, he was the creator of the labyrinth uh, under the court of King Minos of Crete, where the Minotaur lived, and then later on, when he was, I guess, imprisoned to keep the knowledge of the labyrinth and the Minotaur from getting into other hands, he built uh, wings for himself and his son Icarus to escape, and then as they were flying away, the wings were crafted out of wax and feathers, I think. As they were flying away, uh, Icarus flew too close to the sun and his wings melted and he died. Yep. So, I mean, clearly we can see here the connections between Daedalus building wings and um, perhaps a project underway right now somewhere, creating the suit for the Red Angel. And But up until the they said it at the end... I was also thinking that this was a good allegory for, like, Section 31. Like, this has created this maze, and they have to get through Section 31 headquarters to get the... to defeat the Minotaur kind of thing. Right, yeah. So I liked it. Yeah, it can definitely go both ways. Yeah. Now, where do we think Project Daedalus is, Kate? Do you have any ideas? None. None? Mm-mm. Do, do you? Well, it, it could really be anything. Because... At the time, Arium had all of the AI knowledge from the sphere. Yeah. And was linked into control. Yeah. So this could be a Section 31 project. Yeah. Or it could be something entirely alien. Well, 
Actually, no, I have I have nothing. What's the next episode called? I believe the next episode is called The Red Angel. Oh, well then. I guess we're yes. going to get our answers. Well, we've... Yeah. <laughs> the Red Angel and then Perpetual Infinity. And I haven't looked up the last three episode titles. I just realized this season is shorter than last season. Oh, no, because we'll get at least one more. Mm-hmm. No, I think last season was 15 episodes. And this, epi- this season's going to be 12? 14. Oh. I did read an article today that said that there were only two more episodes, and I was like, you were getting your information from an incorrect place, friend. <laughs> very. Very. Maybe they're just going by episode names they've seen. So if anybody out there has any theories on what's behind Project Daedalus, or more theories on who the Red Angel is, and then uh, please hit us up and let us know. And of course, there's lots of theories now that Arium is actually the Red Angel. Because she was ejected out into space. And she's human. Oh, right. Yeah. So, like, her consciousness or something. I don't know. There was, once again, no Reno. Yeah. Sad. Sad. I'm very no upset. Reno. They did have, uh, Saru and, and Pike did have some conversations, though, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about the next episode? Sure. Or should we just not, so that we don't, uh... What did you want to talk about? I'm just flipping through the preview photos. Okay. Promo photos. But no, I think we'll just not. How about this, Kate? Do you have any recommendations this week? Sorry for cutting it short, but my throat lozenge is done and everything hurts again. Okay. So we will wrap it up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I recommend not getting sick. (laughs) I really recommend it. All right. Uh, I have a recommendation. This week I watched the miniseries I Am the Night, which stars India Isley and Chris Pine and was directed by Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman. Right. It is, uh, okay, so I wouldn't recommend it for everyone because it is about um, a famous Hollywood crime that is incredibly gruesome. Uh, it's set in against like 1950s LA. So there's also racial violence, racism. Uh, it also tells the story of a very disturbed family in which a lot of abuse has happened. So this is not going to be for everybody. I'm also listening to the companion podcast called Root of Evil, which again, not for everybody. Because some very disturbing things are discussed. Some graphic details are shared. So, And sorry, this is based on a real crime that happened? Yeah, so it's based on the Black Dahlia murder, which is, as of yet, unsolved. However, the creators of the podcast uh, have a fairly compelling theory about who is the murderer. And uh, they go about discussing the evidence and the theories that lead them to believe who the who the killer was. Now, the miniseries itself is incredibly well done. Very suspenseful, extremely compelling. Um, you know, Patty Jenkins did a wonderful job. India Isley's performance is phenomenal. And one of the things that I wanted to watch it for was specifically to see Chris Pine in a different role. 
uh, where he wasn't playing a character in a superhero film or a Star Trek role, things like that. Right. I watched that movie where he played Robert the Bruce, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would recommend it, but it was interesting. Well, here's the thing that's uh, I found really interesting. A lot of his physical acting quirks that made me think that he wasn't a good World War II spy or that gave him the Captain Kirk sort of puckish charm are still there in this role. However, in this role, he is like a journalist who has PTSD. He drinks, he's doing cocaine. So the the sort of physical na- nature that he brings to the role completely sells it because he's he's not like you know hopping back up he's not um winning over the love interest of like you know the love and affection of a woman he's like it just plays out incredibly differently than you see him in star trek or in wonder Woman. right so it was really interesting they don't try and make him overly pretty I mean, he's still Chris Pine, so he's still pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not trying to make him look super pretty. Okay. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Where at the end, I was like, "Yeah, he's still like, like if I close my eyes and think of some of like his physical ways that he played through the scenes, it physically looked a lot like you know Captain Kirk would play through a scene. Only Captain Kirk would like somehow, you know." talk his way out of this situation or fight his way out of it or you know here he was getting arrested getting beaten up like it was not going his way right so yeah so i i really enjoyed both the movie or the miniseries and the podcast i'm enjoying the podcast isn't done yet but i'm really enjoying it i do enjoy some of these darker stories sometimes and yeah so if anybody out there is like me and won't find it triggering, I suggest you check it out. I don't think I'd find it triggering, but I have no desire to watch this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's fair. I mean, I, I'm i not a crime drama super fan, but every once in a while I do like to sort of immerse myself in this sort of genre. And, yeah, I enjoy it. I, I do not understand why people like true crime. Like, I feel like true crime podcasts are huge right now Mm -hmm. and i i don't understand and i know people who like like that is the steady media they they take in all the time and i don't think i could do that i sort of dive in for a bunch and then you know come up for air and consume other sorts of media right so okay well once again don't get sick it really sucks (laughs) I'm uh, I'm going to go back to bed now. Okay. Uh, before Kate goes to bed and perhaps expires on us, yeah. I should thank you. <laughs> well, thank everyone for listening. Uh, next week, we will be discussing The Red Angel, which is season two, episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery. If you oh, have man, theories... I don't want to die before I know what The Red Angel is. So, so get well suck. soon, Kate. <laughs> that would suck. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us on by email, by Twitter. We are at uh, commandofherown at gmail.com or commandofherown on Twitter. And then check out our Instagram account. I have not had a chance to take any screen caps from the latest episode. 
Uh, my kids are on spring break, so we'll see how much of that extra stuff I can get done. But I will try and get something up there. And I guess we just have to say bye now, Kate. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>